Welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business Podcast, where we explore the game-changing understanding that can unlock new levels of performance and well-being in the workplace. If you want to be part of the new breed of leaders in business, if you're fed up with the conventional echo chamber, and if you want to be part of a revolution in human potential, then join us to discover the powerful resource that lives before our psychology Hello and welcome to the Quality of Mind Transforming Business podcast series. So today's episode, I've got a conversation lined up with my friend, Helen. Uh, And for those of you who are regular listeners to the show, you will have heard Helen at least three or four times on the show already. (laughs) Helen, I think, you know, we once did a three-parter with you as you were going through your kind of transition and transformation to this understanding. That was about two years ago. And we also recorded a lovely one around disillusionment earlier in the, in the uh, series. So people, please do check those out. But Helen, what is today all about? Because this is sort of something we've come up with. So but why don't you tell people and we'll go from there. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Piers. And um, yeah, great to be back again. Thank you for having me. So what we're doing today is slightly turning the tables because I had a question that I was wanting to ask a number of different coaches and teachers in this work for my membership community. And so, yeah, we thought we'd actually ask that question here on the podcast. And so we're kind of going to flip the tables to start with. And essentially I'm interviewing you, Piers, because I'm going to ask you this question so that you can answer it, um, obviously for your listeners and for my members. And um, and yeah, we'll just see where the conversation goes and see how it it unfolds and what comes up. Okay, sounds (laughs) fine. So the question was, and this was on the back of, so at the moment we've been reading The Greatest Secret by Rhonda Byrne as part of a book group I'm, I'm running. And one of the chapters she was talking about um, how our subconscious gets um, projected out into the world to be proven true. So essentially saying our outer world is a function of our inner world. And uh, it just got me thinking, but how do we know that? Like, I'd love to hear from different people. How do we know that the outer world is a creation of our inner world? So yeah, over to you. What are your first thoughts on it, Piers? Such a good question. So how do we know that the outer world is a creation of the inner world? Well, I'm going to start, uh, as I often would do, by being annoying and slightly even challenging the presupposition of the question. Because the question talks about outer world and inner world. Now, at one level, everyone would go, well, of course, there's an outer world of objects, trees, people, chairs, things. And then there's an inner world of um, my thoughts, opinions, beliefs, sense of self, all that kind of stuff. So you could easily go inner world, outer world. One, we might even say one's in my head and one's out there. Now, for those of you who are a little bit familiar with what we talk about with quality of mind and Helen's work, you'll know that we, we point to what we call non-duality. We point to the idea that actually everything that we're experiencing in our worlds, whether they're the inner one or the outer one, is actually all coming from the same source or, or f- from the same system or consciousness, as some people might call it. And consciousness is primary and the appearance of the outer world, that's the, the trees and the people and the buses, comes from consciousness. And the appearance of the inner world, that's the idea that there's a, a Piers or a Helen and the thoughts that I have about this perceived outer world also come from consciousness. So you could even say the question itself is pointing in, a, in the wrong direction, but let, let's just go with it. 
because at one level of experience, you would go, yes, I can, there's some things that are call out there. And there's some things I would say are, are in my mind. So how do we know that the outer one, uh, comes from the inner one? Uh, how can we, we explore that? I think there's a, there's a, there's, there's a few ways we can see that. And some of them would be even formalized in, in what science is spotted. And some might be ones that the more esoteric world has spotted, but they're all interesting things, I think, to inquire, uh, and explore and explore, as we always say, explore with this, I don't have a set idea of how this works, right? Because we're so conditioned to think there's an outer world and then there's an inner world, you know, we're so conditioned to think the material worlds, etc. So when you're doing, when you're listening to this, have a little play with, imagine I didn't know. Imagine I hadn't had science classes at school telling me how it's going on. Imagine I'm six or seven years old and I've got a beautiful curiosity and then look at these phenomena we're going to talk about and then see what you see. So there, there, there's lots of them. Uh, I'll start with one of my faves, um, the dream. So how come we can have such, there's two bits of the dream I want to point to. How come we can have such a real, sentient, vivid experience of something that we're doing whilst we are asleep or, or, you know, so say you're just waking up for your dream and you're still in it. You feel that. And in your mind, there was something going on, but there's nothing going on in what we would call the outer world. Yet you experience it so powerfully. Now, how, how can they do that? There must be the mind doing that. Another thing about the dream, a little bit deeper, so I won't spend too long on this, but um, in a dream, the mind splits into two. It splits into the dreamers walking down the street or lying on a beach or playing in an FA Cup final or being chased by a, a dog or whatever it is. And that's the outer world. And you're having in the, in the dream, you're having thoughts and feelings about that as the dreamer. So the dreamer is seeing the world. So there's object and subject. So it splits into two. All happening within the encompassment of the dream, or we might say consciousness. So how about if that was what was going on in our waking state too? It's not such a big stretch, right? Apart from what we've been conditioned, okay? to think that the world just splits into this perceived inner and outer. So there are a couple of little things to play with around the dream as an illustration of how the mind's working. Now let's get into our day-to-day -day waking experience. What, what can we see? What can we see there? Um, well, before I do that, Helen, do you want to ask me anything about the dreamy thing or where do you want me to go? Do you want me to ramble on and then you ask questions or ask questions as we go? What would be more useful? Uh, you carry on, yeah. I've 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 noticed don't dream, and I'll keep. Um, yeah. If I want to interrupt, I'll interrupt you. Yes, please do. Yeah. Yeah. So then we can just take the very basic thing of how the world, the outer outer world, looks, feels, senses, seems, perceives differently, in different moments. So, how come very basically you can go for a walk that you've done a hundred times, and some days walks it look it, it looks like there's more trees there or it looks like oh, i hadn't noticed that before it feels different right or another example you you can walk into a a a room and see a bunch of stressed people 
if you're stressed. If you've had the best day ever, then people look happy and joyful. And, you know, how, how does that work? Again, we're talking again about the connection between what we're calling this perceived or apparent inner and outer worlds. So I think most people would intuit and, and say, yes, it makes a difference. If I'm having a good day, the world looks good. I'm having a bad day. You know, w w when people fall in love, if you, people can remember that, the world looks lovely. Everything looks lovely. You smile at people. People smile back. When you're having a rubbish day, it's miserable, right? So we can see it at a very basic level of just how the world looks. Yeah, so just, I'm going to jump in at that point because I think that, just to pull out a couple of bits there, one about the, like, we're falling in love with somebody and we're in that beautiful feeling and so they look amazing. And usually around three months, it's, they start to look less amazing. <laughs> and three months, by the way, is not the government standard on day. <laughs> that is a, a give or take hand in the air. <laughs> um, yeah, gradually creeps in. Um, yeah, and so we would normally just go, "Oh well, they've changed. They, you know, they're not the person who I first started dating." Not realizing actually that that is a perfect example of no, it's your inner ideas and and system which has changed and therefore they look like they're a different person yeah and equally so the one you said before about you know walking into a room with people who are either stressed or happy but who are actually just a reflection of your own inner state um I, I guess the most powerful example of that is when when they shift appear to shift but because you've shifted like they've not actually changed they're potentially still saying the same kind of words still talking about the same kind of either problem or brilliant thing, um, but suddenly you see it entirely differently just because your thinking's changed, your inner state's changed. And so, yeah, people can go from looking completely stressed to looking completely capable and know what they're doing, even though their words haven't really, really changed yes. anything at all. And, and the classic in the workplace about that is where someone gets branded a difficult person. Mm. or a nasty boss or a whatever, whatever. And, you know, that, that sometimes comes up in the legend of the organization. Oh, you're going to have a meeting with so-and-so or, you know, people get, and, and it's so funny how that gets self-perpetuated, right? It's a vicious circle. Mm. That. Mm. Now, someone brand new to the organization doesn't know that hasn't had the story just turns up and they happen to be in a good aperture. They don't see it. Now, the other people go, oh, you wait, you wait, you know, they, they, they were going easy on you. Well, we, we've got to see the role of the mind in that, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the you wait is, well, yes, because we're going to tell you what it's like and then you're going to start yeah, to look for it. Believe it. Yeah. yeah. So I think, I think it, it can, you, you can see it at a very basic level in just how the world looks. Now, I think some people would say, and I don't know if this is true, but some people would go, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying, Helen and Pierre, I hear what you're saying there. And that changes it. 20, 30%. That, that's like, that's the filter you're putting on that person. But objectively, they are something. Or that tree is something. And it's your filter. It's like a Photoshop sort of thing. So a lot of people are, are of the mind that we interpret our external reality, not that it's completely created from mind. So, so that, that's a bigger question, isn't it? Mm. Um, I mean, what's your experience of that? Do you think most people would, would buy into the idea, oh, yes, well, my, my mind, my mood might change it by 2030, but they are intrinsically something? Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that's the, that's the fundamental. And 
And I guess there is some intrinsicness in that there's a repetitive of the pattern of peers, in my experience. Yes. There is something happening there. That's what we call peers. Um, yes, which has habits and, and behaviours. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and that's why it might look consistent is because my, my conditioning can be consistent. But it, I, the metaphor I sometimes use is, and this is just something for people to explore, a metaphor for people to explore, is the way the world turns up for us is a bit more like um, if people have ever had a go on a virtual reality headset, where when you turn your head, the, the, the little avatar universe you're in renders, you know, mm -hmm. and if it's, if it's an old one, it's a bit slow. You can actually see it rendering, you know, you can sort of, well, it would take a few seconds and the new ones are so seamless, you don't tell. But it, it, it's, and that's really sort of what the mind's doing is it, it's rendering a, re, a, a reality, an outer world as we, as we go through. And how that renders will depend on our aperture, what we would call aperture or our inner state. Um, now, some people might go, well, are you saying that what, there isn't an outside world at all? Um, no, we're not, saying, we're not saying there isn't anything in, in deeper consciousness or whatever. That, that's, it's, not, um, you know, it's not all uh, sort of that show in the matrix where we're in a vat and, and, we're, and we're all, it's all dreamed from the internal, isn't it? It's not solipsism at all, which is there literally is nothing outside of the mind. Yeah. Yeah. There is, that <laughs> yeah, it, it is, <laughs> there is something outside of the mind, but it's not in time, space and matter. Right. So that's what the science is pointing to now, isn't it? The science is pointing to the, that what we think is the outside of mind, i.e. time, space and matter isn't outside of the mind. So time, space and matter are just how we perceive it's our, uh, the icons and the symbols and the dashboards and the dials, as Bernardo would say, of mm. how we, how we render the world. Mm. Mm. But the way we render that, the way we would look at measure the world in, in time, space, matter, or, or, or weight or spin or whatever it is, energy is all part of the rendering mm. process. It's all the, it's all the icons on the desktop, if you want to call it that, they're not intrinsic qualities of the outside world, mm. which then begs the question, what is the outside world? Well, we don't know. Yeah. Because we're completely inequipped to, to know. So if <coughs> a couple of things are coming up, one is actually who's the we that's doing the rendering. And, and I'm wondering whether it's worth pointing to, um, so isn't there neuroscience that shows how, when we're experiencing a supposed something, there's a tiny bit of data that comes in from the outside and the vast majority of activity is happening within the brain. So I can't remember what the numbers are, but it's some like six times, six times more. So, so if you look at it, um, I think this is, uh, Eagleman, uh, said that the amount of information, uh, so you'd imagine in the outside in model that there'd be lots of information flowing from say the eyes to, to the cortex, right? Because that's, that's how, if, if the, if the world's outside in, then the eyes take it all in and it would go from the sensory receptor, the eye to the cortex, right? Now, what they've, if you just look at brain traffic, it goes six times the other way, right? So 
whatever is sourcing the brain and remember the brain is not the source um is reflecting into the eyes it's going that way it's going the wrong way for the current paradigm <laughs> it, it, it shouldn't be going that way yeah you know, it should be coming from the eyes in so it's six times as much mm. um and then there's an also another piece of interesting neuroscience that talk, which is fairly well regarded now which says that really what we are seeing in our uh, our thoughts are a few seconds or or, or, or a small period of time late mm. so mm. uh if you if you what we think we've seen, which we would say, oh, I've seen the tree. We would look like it's a seamless process for us. Actually, no. The conceptual mind's uh, attributing and noticing of that thing it calls a tree is after the perception. Mm. Mm. Right? Yeah. yeah. So really again, like... the brain's playing catch up mm. to something else. Mm. There's a delay. Mm which is really fascinating because it's all the meaning we're making about the world. It's not about the world. It's about our internal representation of the world. Yeah. Not, not from the world. Yeah. So, and then you've got interesting conditions like, um, synesthesia, which is fascinating, isn't it? Where, so that would be an example where the, where the sensory systems are kind of mixed up. So someone like, uh, you and I might be listening to someone play the piano. Someone with synesthesia wouldn't hear what was coming off the piano. They would see colors. Mm. They would see sound. Or there's a, another story of this great chef who has synesthesia and he doesn't taste flavor. He feels flavor. Yeah, there was somebody who felt a plant wasn't there. Like they could describe this really, really detail, like the plant that they could feel. The way the leaves were and the pot that was, yeah, everyone else was, was experiencing a sound or a color or whatever it yeah. was, this person could, it's, yeah. It's, it's phenomenal that. And, and then you take people who've been blind from birth or, or long condition blindness. Um, and the way they sense the world is, is completely different to, uh, how, how someone with, 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 with sight might, but it's remarkable in what they, the information they're picking up that, that mm -hmm. someone with, with fully sensory perception may not. So it's not, it's not worse. It's just different. Mm, mm. I mean, so you look at things like using synesthesia, uh, blindness, and then in associative personality disorder, you can have people who in one of their, uh, their egos, their personalities, they're blind. Yes. And they can't see. And when they're in that, they can't see. And when they're in their other, they can. Yeah, that was a novel example. It's a, and and Bernard Castro talks about his example mm -hmm. in some of the research he cites in his work. And now, isn't that fascinating? The fact that you know you can go from seeing to not seeing, depending on in our our, our language, quality of my language, what aperture you're in. Mm -hmm. But if you were if you were looking at it from the outside in perspective, you go, well, you're blind or you're not. Same yeah. phantom limb pain. Uh, phantom limb pain is another great example of that. Um, you know, people that experience the body, and then if we go a little, sorry, the, the surgery under uh, under hypnosis, isn't there as well? The um, take the mind offline and pain isn't uh, absolutely yeah. So the people that can have full proper cut cut your guts open surgery, I would no anaesthetic at all, um, and they're fine. It, it, it it's it's 
you know, phenomenal. So again, you, you know, if it was outside it and you think, well, cutting the body open should make a difference. And then we've got things like, you know, medical, where you've got placebos. Um, technically they shouldn't work if it's an outside in world. Uh, so how do they work? That doesn't make any sense. Um, it, so there's lots of things pointing, which people sort of write off and that, that we haven't even got into yet. The things that science won't agree with things like past life regression or, or people having communications with people who have passed or died mm -hmm. uh, or deja vu or, you know, so, so there's, you know, I think there's some statistics somewhere on the amount of people who have had an experience of, of feeling very connected and communicative with someone who's passed away. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, traditional stars would go, well, no, you're not, you're just making that up. But it's, it's prevalent. Or remote viewing, where you can see something, you can experience something that your body is not present to. Mm. That's quite, mm. these things are remarkably common. Um, and, and science, you know, because it doesn't fit with necessarily what science is seeing right now, they're just disregarded. So, I mean, some of this might be sounding people going, okay, now you've lost us, you know, but what we're saying again, and we said right at the beginning, explore this without the, the shackles of, well, this is how it works. And when you start to put all those pieces of the puzzle together, it, you do start to see that the way science and we've been conditioned doesn't necessarily add up. Mm. And yes, I'm thinking because some people's heads might be spinning. Mm. Some people's heads might be already going, this sounds too weird and wacky. And like you're, yeah, so that, that, that idea of staying in that curious childlike, pretend you don't know anything state. I can imagine some minds might be revving up going, oh, blimey, but what's going to happen to me if I keep exploring this way? Like all these things that I know or think I know, which seem to be like handrails for me, seem to be like the way I stay stable in the world. What's going to happen if I actually explore down this route? Like the mind can get really scared of it. So what's your, you know, what, what's, what's your view? Yeah, the, the mind can. Um, and, and we distinguish, don't we, between what we call the self, the conceptual mm. mind, um, which job is to keep us safe and for its itself to be recognized and validated. So given the conceptual mind's job is to cre create conceptual frameworks and um, parameters to limit the infiniteness of ourselves, because otherwise we'd be too infinite, if you want to call it that. <laughs> so the conceptual mind's job very, very helpfully is to help us navigate the perceived world and therefore it puts in limitation. And this self is not able to know and experience what is before it, um, by definition. So it doesn't know there's a built-in safety net when it's not around. Mm. Right. Mm. It, it, now mm. people who have experienced quite significant areas of loss or tragedy or e e e even situations where they've had sort of, you know, uh, mental health issues and have come back round, if you like, they've had, a, they, they've had a breakdown or whatever, that they know there's something there before the self because they've almost surrendered the self away and then whoosh, in it comes. Or even people who do like, you know, hardcore physical activities, you mm -hmm. know, they, they've got to the, I can't run anymore, I can't run anymore. Oh, I, I'm giving up. And then whoosh, 
in, in the wind comes. So the self doesn't know it's there. So the self doesn't want to let go. So mm-hmm. we'll, we'll fight and, and, and the self's job, it thinks is to keep us safe, keep us secure, keep us validated. So therefore it does, it has two roles really. It seeks and resists, right? Protects, if you want to call it that. Mm. From how it thinks the world works. Now, if we get to see that the self's, that the mind that is a process, not an object, it's an activity, not an entity, and it's doing the best it can given what it knows, right? But it's not all we've got going for us. And when we let it just sort of do its stuff without us really buying into it, it's still going to do its stuff. It's going to do its stuff. But we don't buy into it as the only thing. We start to intuit, resonate, sense there's something else going on for us, a deeper something, a before psychology something, which most of us, most of us have had a sense of, but we never rely on it because we're told not to, or we don't understand it. So to, long answer to your question. If people inquire in this and then get all caught up in their head about it and take that seriously, yeah, well, you, you'll, you'll look the other way and you, you won't bother carrying on looking. But if, if, you, if you allow that busy mind to get busy, but don't buy into it because you know its job is to try and make sense of things it can't make sense of, and then you're, you're, you're flipping in and out of this making sense to you and not. That, that's the experience yeah. I've had with clients. You probably find the same, that people flip in and out going, absolutely, get it, get it, get it. Oh, no, I don't. No, I don't. No, I don't. And I don't want to. Oh, yes, I do. No, I don't. That's totally normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And which makes sense because it is like that, that oscillation period where that shift's starting to happen, isn't it? Like there's the beginning of a recognition that there's something else. But then the mind keeps coming back in, that conceptual mind keeps coming back in going, oh, hang on, hang on, where are you going? What, what do you think you're doing? What are you running off with? Come back, come back to what we know, come back to the familiar. But, the, but it does seem like a natural inevitability. And if, like you say, if, if, if people are listening to this and curious about it, and whether they've heard about it before or not, it's like, yeah, if something's resonating, then it's because it's pointing you towards this as the natural way system will want to go which is why when we begin the conversation it becomes that inevitability because it's like so from the metaphor i tend to use as people of being a river rivers want to run downstream and that's what we are really we've been trying to push water upstream to get the results that nature does beautifully and so the more we start to recognize that and recognize that that's just what rivers do like they they will want to go in this direction it's so interesting what you say, because what occurred to me is that the misunderstanding we have is that when we think life feels hard, we think, well, conventionally we've been taught to think that that's because life is hard, mm. right? So therefore I need, I self need to get on with life and manage it psychologically, right? And that's because it feels hard. And if I don't do stuff in my psychology, I won't achieve. Now, the hardness we're feeling, the, the life is hard, actually is not because this thing called life is hard. It's actually a sensation of our resistance to the stream, mm. to what's before psychology, to the just unfolding, mm. right? Now, we misinterpret that the resistance as the thing 
because our, 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 why we have to strive in life sometimes and it feels hard and we get burnt out and we have to put all these psychological strategies in and we have to meditate and do our whatevers is because we are trying to not let the stream take us down to, to your point. And we think it's life telling us that's hard. Therefore we need to equip ourselves with something to deal with a hard life. Mm. sense that yeah, we were missing the, the the it's our resistance that's hard it's not life isn't hard now i'm not being flippant there and, and i bet disingenuous to people about you know if you haven't i'm not saying you don't never have a hard life of course it can look like that of course it is you know but we are but, equipped you know, to deal with like, that yeah and people will have had examples of that so again like either difficult situations which have been thrust on you but which you somehow managed to navigate amazingly easily and gracefully without ever having been in that situation before and yet something appeared which just how did you know what to do step by step or equally being in the midst of something maybe beginning it thinking it's going to be hard or prior to it thinking this is going to be hard certainly having that shift in the middle of doing something going this is hard this is hard this is hard and then suddenly something switches and the very same activity becomes easy so it's, so was it really hard again like is that thing out there really really in and of itself a hard thing and and yeah so so much of and maybe this is something that where we get confused when we think about oh I want to have a happier life we maybe think it's all going to be sweetness and roses and and so we're aiming for this false world where we think we're going to be on a high the whole time life continues with ups and downs in this conversation too it's just the nature of those ups and downs change. The experience of them changes because we're now recognizing that, the, yeah, as you say, the hardness, the difficulty of it comes from us trying to psychologically manage or, or psychologically resist what would naturally be happening anyway. I think that's a good point, isn't it? Because we, I think happiness is, um, you know, the meaning of the word itself is, you know, full of whatever's, but it, we're not pointing here to being some kind of rose tinted, every experience you have will be a good one. Let's call it good or positive. Mm. And then nothing mm. will ever go wrong in life. That's not what we're pointing to here at all. Cause that's very rose tinted. It sounds like we drunk some Kool-Aid and we're just hippie, hippie, hippie <laughs> whatever. Right? No. What we're saying is that life seems to unfold in an isness of rich, varied experiences. Um, you know, that's what it is. And, and, and some, some of those you could objectively describe as great. And some you could say, oh, I didn't want that one, you know, but the, how that experience, uh, is for us and the, and the richness of it and the learning and the ability to be in it and deal with it in, with a peaceful mind or resourcefulness is completely down to how much we're going up the river, trying to fight up the river or go down the river. Um, mm. And the more we try and use ourselves to manage it, the harder it becomes. But then we forget it's because we're using our mind to manage it and we think it's the things hard. And people have, yeah, I think it's, you're yeah. right to point to, the, you know, how often in our lives has something looked really hard and then it wasn't or halfway through it changed or it's hard for one person, not hard for another person. How come? Mm. You know, if it was all outside in, it would objectively be the same. It's not. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the mind scares like us. Pulling it back to your, yeah, and to pull it back to your VR um, metaphor. It's 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 that um, VR headset that we've put on as these human beings, and we've been wearing for so long. What we're doing here is is inviting the taking off of the headset for a second to see what's what else is available. It's turning around to see that you're plugged into something, that it's not you on your own, and actually, it's not just even one plug. There's like a whole power station behind you. <laughs> and that, yeah, that's, that seems to be what happens as we, as we look in this direction, as we explore this way, as we start to hold that curiosity with what's actually going on. And as you've done today, like point, pointing, poking all those holes in what we think we know about what this experience is, it is like taking that headset off, isn't it? And kind of. Yeah. And it's also. Yeah. Um, because the outside world, as it appears to us, is is great because it shows us mm. what I'm going to make. I'm going to play to the concession of the inside world. What the inside world's up to, right? So it's just reflecting back, helpfully. Yeah. You know what? Yeah. Where our conditioning's at. So that's the beauty of being in the world, fully immersed in this world as a human being in the mix of it, because when you know that all the outside world is to you is just the play, it's, it's the end of the chain. It's the, uh, symptom It's the output, <laughs> the outcome mm -hmm. of what the mind, not the start point. So we've been conditioned to think with well, an outside world. That's where we start. And then depending on how you meet, your mind sees it is what you get. So, that, so, that, so we've been taught, you know, you start with this outside world and then your mind will observe the outside world. And then depending on its thoughts, it will determine what the outside world looks like, good or bad. Now we're saying, no, flip that all the way around. The outs output is of the, this thing called the outside world is just a reflection back as to your the the symptoms of your conditioning mm, mm. and some of that's really helpful really helpful to see because oh yeah and it's useful to navigate the world to see that yeah so it helps us navigate but it's not it's not something to be managed scared of or or, or run away from because you can't it's yours it's, it's i would say yours it's, it's, you're gonna have it so you, you can't go oh i don't like that one just just be it and see it. Yeah. You're making me think about that bit we said earlier about the, the time lag between what's actually happening, whatever that is, and our experience of it because of that delay in the processing and, and how that really emphasizes the craziness of trying to manage what's out there because it's already happened and gone. It's like, we, we're already a few seconds behind whatever's already, it's already been done. And, yeah. And, and, and it is. It's, you know, you, you, I'm, the thing that popped in my mind is you can't tickle yourself. Um, the reason you can't <laughs> tickle yourself is because it's you doing it, right? Or if you draw a scary picture of a monster, it doesn't scare you, right? So the problem with the outside world is that we think it's an independent thing. Mm. It's not. When we know it's just part of the processing of the mind, playing out programming conditioning 
yes, we'll have it. Yes, we'll feel it. Yes, it's sentient. Yes, it appears real. But we kind of know what it is. We know what it's made of. We, we, we know we're the tickler. We know we're the drawer, you know. And therefore, mm -hmm. whereas it still will have a realness to it, that's reality, we don't see the objective causal power of it and the truth of it. So we can navigate it more with flow and just just see what it is and, you know, not try to protect, seek and protect in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which again is going back to that point of this is the natural design. This is the way it, it's, it is working, has always been working. And when we come to recognize that for ourselves, then we're then in that flow with it, aren't we? We're working. It's not, because what we're feeling, when, when we think life feels hard, we're feeling resistance to that. So, so that's what we said earlier. And that's, you know, with your metaphor, the river. So what we, we feel life feels hard when we're resisting the what is of it. Yeah. Mm. But we think the, we, the hard feeling is because of the output of that. We think, oh yeah, life feels hard. No, like the way life looks outside is a result of. So the feeling you've got isn't about life. It's about whether you're resisting the stream or not. Mm, yeah. Really, really simple at one level, but really, really hard to see. <laughs> so. And totally possible, as we both know. Sorry, t totally. And totally possible. Yeah. Yeah. And, it, you know, just when people fall awake to it, they start to see it. And then you see it, you start. Lo what's lovely, isn't it? This is another clue, I think, that. It's how the design of the system is that when people start to see it and they stay curious and open and don't let the conceptual mind chase it away, they start to see more and more and more. The awakening process seems to be just need a bit of nudging, then it wakes up in us and then we're away, which is why when we get clients and we just have a, some few conversations with them, they start to see a load more than, than we've pointed them to. Because it's not really us pointing that's, that's the, the magic in this. It's waking up something that's already there. Again, mm -hmm. another little sign that you, it's pointing the right way. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Any final thoughts then, Piers? Before we... Well, I'm just, I, my final thought was, I wonder whether we completely forgot the question we, we were answering and, and we've gone round and round like we normally do. But um, do we tie it back into our questions? <laughs> Yeah, so how do we know the outer world is a creation of our inner world? I reckon we've looked at that at loads of angles. Do you want me to, uh, I mean, I've, I've written down all the stuff you've, you've shared about, which is a lot. Dreams, how the world looks different on different days. The fact it's a VR headset is shown through a whole bunch of neuroscience. Um, the synesthesia effect, the dissociative disorder effect. Um, and yeah, that life is hard that we've looked at towards the end, as well as play, pain, placebo effect, deja vu's, remote viewing. This, you know, there are so many pointers to show. Okay, so the last way around I'll look at it is spin the question round. Okay. Let's say, and I'm not, I know this is not necessarily the right way of answering it, but let's say, okay, the outer, the, uh, outer world creates the inner world. Right, so let's say that's the premise, because the premise would be conditioned. Mm -hmm. Give me proof about that then. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're asking to prove the question you're around, it, 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 you know, it, it's very, you can't. So if someone said, no, 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 the outer world creates the inner world, right? That there's not one thing that you can say apart from belief that that's how it works. Mm. 
that there's nothing you can say from direct experience that goes, yes. So you, so someone might go, well, yeah, if, if someone steals my bicycle, I feel upset. There you go, Piers. That's outer world creating inner world. So they would go, ah, I told you. No. Well, we, we know that we, but even with this tiny, weeny little bit of looking at that, you go, well, how about if you got upset about that and then um, you met your hero? I'm just making this story up. You, you saw Ronaldo. Would you then suddenly still be upset about the bike? No, I wouldn't. No, no. We could go, ah, oh, but Ronaldo's in the outside world. See, he calls me to feel good about it. Well, again, no, because there was no, there's no direct cause or effect of that because it's only because of your, your, your made up view of what Ronaldo being this amazing guy that yeah. done that. So it's not, <laughs> it's not Ronaldo-ness. I wouldn't even know who he was. <laughs> He's a football. He could be a lookalikey, you know, and you could get really excited and you go, oh, I'm not really him. Oh, right. So how can you prove it happens the other way around? No. So, and, and that pain one might be a common one that, that would be said. So if I, if I'm stub my toe, it always hurts peers every single time. I've never had it not hurt when I've stubbed my toe. Okay. Great one. Better than my ones. Right. So, the, so stubbing the toe, <laughs> stubbing the toe, two ways to answer that. And I'll try and do it in one minute. So the, the rock itself, that you stub your toe on, I'm assuming it's a rock. We would say it's the outer world. It's a hard thing. Yeah. It's a hard thing, right? <laughs> Let's just say it's a rock, right? That's not in the outer world, we're saying, perceived outer world, but it's still in the mental world. So the rock itself is in the mental world. Now, does the rock have qualities of, of, of a different kind of matter that can hurt the body? Yes. Right? In the world of matter. In the world of matter, the rock is harder than the foot, which is why it hurts. It's still happening inside the m mental process of the mind. And... The awareness of that, the meta, the meta awareness of that pain will depend on our aperture because if we're having a lovely, lovely day, we don't notice that. That's why rugby players or sports people who break limbs don't notice it afterwards. So whether we have the, the meta awareness of that pain depends on our state, but also the rock itself or, or whatever it is, is still happening inside the mental world because the rock yeah. is, a, is, a, is a mental thing does that answer it or not yeah yeah so i think yeah there's yeah so it seems to me there's some there's some there's something happening there between two apparent things and the general correlation is it hurts when that happens and then the mind lays on a whole bunch of other stuff on top of that of which as you say like a rugby player either experiences the pain in the moment or not person who's hypnotized experiences the pain or not so the, the pain part of it is very variable based on whatever else is happening yes but I, let's go back let's go one step further and say well how come maybe i didn't feel the pain but i got a bruised toe the deck next day you could go aha mm. you didn't feel the pain because you're having such a lovely day right but you did get a bruised foot so that rock did cause your foot to get bruised Yes, but we're saying the rock and the toe, you, you described it nicely, two apparent things. We, in the way we science says at the moment, they've go, rock is outside world, toe is body, pain is internal. So we kind of 
made three really. We've gone outside world, body, pain, right? Mm -hmm. Now we're saying all three of those are within the same consciousness, the same system, the same mental mm -hmm. world. So there isn't yeah. an inner and outer, not in the way that science has described it, not in a materialism, physicalism way. Yeah. So that question of check, have you ever known a rock outside of awareness? Have you ever known a toe outside of awareness? Where would a rock and a, a toe ever happen or ever collide outside of that awareness? Yes. So what's really fair? Yeah. So the only thing that's really there and consistent is awareness. And the apparent toe and the apparent rock appear within that. And yeah, and they all are happening in the, this made up now, you know, as we experience the toe and experience the rock. But it's, that doesn't mean there's an outer and inner. Nothing in that means there's an outer and inner in the terms of an objective outer. Mm. So I guess we're hoping for, with listeners with this, with this smorgasbord buffet of random little bits and pieces to just disrupt or challenge your thinking on what we've been taught. You might not resonate with all of it, you might resonate with some of it, but just really get curious with it and just play with this stuff in your mind. Just, just thought experiment it. Try and do that without belief. Try and do that. I'm pressing pause to, oh no, it works like this. Prove to me it doesn't. Go the other way around. Go, well, let me look at it fresh and see what happens. Anything final for you, Helen? No, that's awesome. Thank you, Piers. Really appreciate the conversation. Well, uh, listeners, as usual, we'd love to hear any feedback. We find this, as you can tell, a fascinating conversation. Love to hear what you, what you, what you think, any insights on that, any questions you've got for Helen and I, then let us know. Details will be in the show notes. So as usual, until next time, have fun being curious. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast and want to know more, check out our website at qualityofmind.biz and also feel free to reach out and leave us a review or a comment. Until next time, have fun being curious. <laughs>